Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big game coming up Saturday night. BYU's 2-0, Arizona State's 2-0. They're both nationally ranked. They haven't played in 20-plus years, which is weird when you think about it. Why wouldn't they have played? But nonetheless, they haven't. We're going to get you started with some Cougar talk this morning. We're going to start with Gunnar Romney, BYU wide receiver. Wanted to start off, how does it feel to be facing essentially your hometown team this week in Arizona State? Um, I'm excited. It's, you know, it's it's fun. Uh, my high school coach is a coach there. He's a running backs coach. Um, I got a couple old teammates, a couple of people I played against in high school that, that played for them. So I'm excited to go back and or for them to come up here and to just compete against those dudes because it's personal for me. I mean, I live 10, 15 minutes away from ASU. How is the knee holding up for you? Obviously, we saw you uh, taped up pretty good on Saturday, but how's it holding up? Um, it's good. Uh, you know, I after I got my MRI last week, there's no structural damage to it. It's really just dealing with the pain, and it gets better every single day. You know, I felt good during the Utah game, just a little sore this week, but, you know, I'm good. I'll be, I'll be even better this week. Okay, Jared, and then Sean. Gunnar, how would you assess BYU's explosive plays to this point, uh, particularly in the passing game? Um, you know, I don't think we've had enough um, – as many as we wanted uh, to this point, but I think, you know, we, we've been able to get it done, but as the season goes on, goes along, I think that's one thing that we need to do a lot better of is having those explosive plays, um, whether it's in the run game or the pass game. Um, you know, we've, we've been able to, to get it done with just enough so far, but looking forward, I think that's one area that we can greatly improve on. The other, the flip side of that, and this is something that we've talked about before, but I don't know if people credit enough. How do you assess what the receivers, tight ends, running backs have done in the block game as far as helping the rush game? Yeah, you know, like I said, uh, it's kind of with the pass game. You know, I think we've we've been able to get it done to this point, um, but we're always looking to improve. I think um, there's there's a lot of plays where we, we leave yardage on the field, um, but there's also a lot of a lot of good things happening. I think. Um, you know, with it, with the first two games under our belt, I think um, with that experience, hopefully we can we can just continue to improve throughout the season and continue to break even more plays because of those blo- that blocking. Gunner, you touched on this a little bit uh, about how personal this game is for you growing up 10 to 15 minutes away from ASU and now playing for BYU and all that. Um, I, I remember when I lived down in the Valley and this was over 20 years ago, so it might not mean anything to you, but there was a real kind of heated thing between BYU and Arizona State. D- does that still exist with, I mean, obviously there are a lot of members of the church in that area versus here and that kind of thing. Like, is there still like a, like a perception about BYU you kind of where you grew up over in Chandler and in Tempe and in the Valley? Yeah, a little bit. Um, like you mentioned, there's a huge LDS presence in the Valley. Um, so when there's an LDS presence, there's always going to be a BYU presence. And so it kind of conflicted a little bit with that ASU fan base. So there, there for sure is a little bit of conflict. Um, and so I wouldn't say it's a rivalry, but I think, I think there's a lot of people that are kind of torn between this game. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, families that might be split. Uh, Jake, last question. Yeah, Gunner, in terms of how the wide receiver unit is coming together, obviously we saw the Nakua brothers get their first extensive action against Utah. How have they fit in with you guys that have kind of been the returning guys in that unit? Um, I think they fit in fit in perfect. Both of those dudes are really high energy dudes, and that's what we love about them. They bring they bring an energy that 
um, it, it amplifies the entire offense and even the team really uh, with the energy they bring. You know, they're not going to shy away from, um, you know, going in and, and making a block even if the play's not coming to them or if they're running a route that's not designed for them, they're going to run at full speed. Um, so I think they're, they've taken on a great role and, and really they're, they're selfless players, which is huge for, for the entire offense. But they're, I think they fit, fit in perfect with our offense. There's Gunnar Romney getting ready for the Sun Devils. Now here's his offensive coordinator, Aaron Roderick. What do you feel like you learned about your team last week? Um, nothing I... Nothing I didn't already know. Yeah. How do you? Yeah, I already knew. I mean, yeah, nothing I didn't know already. Well, and I, I kind of assumed that'd be the case, but you know, they, they went out and made the plays that they need to. How do you translate into the, facing Arizona State this week? What do you see from them? They're really good. They're similar to Utah athletically. Um, you know, great skill in the back end, big physical front. And it's a big challenge just to stay focused. You know, you got a lot of people telling us how good we are right now. And you got to gotta manage that and be ready to play again. All right, Sean, go ahead. Yeah, Coach, we talked, uh, we talked the other day to a uh, certain pass-catching fullback who um, – caught a, a pass or two I think the last time BYU played Arizona State if memory serves I think there was a skinny little kid from Bountiful who who returned a couple of punts or something that night um as well on the field uh just what do you what do you remember about kind of the last time BYU played ASU playing in that game and do you see any sort of uh echoes I guess of those previous ASU teams in this one as well um I don't remember that game that well. I, I mean, I know I didn't do anything special in that game personally. I remember we won, and it was a big deal to beat a good team. Um, yeah, I remember Kalani had a catch for 20 or 30 yards. He got tackled. I think he got tackled near the goal line. That Ben Horton, I think, had a long touchdown catch in that game. Um, but don't remember a lot. I just remember we, we pulled out a win over a good team. I, and I don't know what it would have to do with this game other than just uh, anytime you play, you know, teams that have a lot of speed like these guys do, you know, you have your hands full and you got to be ready. Jake, go ahead. Aaron, when you watch Arizona State on the field defensively, He's just a little bit of a scouting report. It seems like their linebackers seem to be the chief strength of that defense. Am I wrong in that assessment? Um, the linebackers are good, but the secondary is just as good. I mean, that's that there. They got so much skill. The defensive line is big and physical, um, and then their linebackers are experienced, super athletic. And the, the secondary across the board, they're very skilled. This is, this is a big challenge. They're good. I've had some people reach out to me on social media, so I'm going to pass this question on to you. Uh, only one catch for your tight ends through two games. Is there any concern with the lack of production from that unit for you? No, um, not at all. We threw the ball four times to Isaac Rex last game, and, you know, didn't work out threw to him a few times a game before didn't didn't work out I mean he had 12 touchdowns last year most of them in the red zone and 
this year people aren't going to just let him get open, you know, easily. He's going to have to work for it. We're going to have to work for it. Um, last game, Utah bracketed down Holker twice on third down. I mean, bracket coverage and he had no catches in the first game and they still bracketed him on third down um, with a safety and a corner. So people are going to try to make it hard for our tight ends to get the ball because they know they're good. And so if that's the case, we'll throw it to somebody else and the, the, the plays will come. It's, it's early. It's two games. Those guys play a big role in our offense and I'm not concerned about that yet. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, they got to, they got to get open. And sometimes it's uh, the defense is dictating that the quarterback has to throw the ball somewhere else. And um, not concerned about that. It's, it'll come. Just a small follow-up to that. When If a player ever comes to you and expresses their concern about their lack of production and you kind of show them, hey, you've been bracketed here, do you kind of point to them, hey, this should be a sign of respect that the team actually fears your ability? Um, I might. It depends on the way they approach me about it. My, most guys, I would just tell them, hey, we got a lot of other good players, so if you got complaints, you know, we'll play somebody else. Um that's that's a nice thing about having the depth that we have is we have a lot of good options to throw the ball to. And I don't think you're going to see – you're not going to see – probably not going to see one guy with 12 touchdowns this year. You're not going to see one guy having 150 yards receiving every week. You're going to see different people step up and different people make plays, and that's, that's part of being on a good team is we, we have – you got to defend the whole field. Um, you know, we're trying to make people defend every blade of grass out there and every every skill player on the field is a threat. And uh, you never know from week to week what's going to be there. And so um, but our tight ends will they're going to they're going to get their share of touches this year and it's coming. OK, Jared, go ahead. I know Ute fans during the game last week were frustrated that the defense wasn't accounting for Jaron Hall's running ability. You know, he had a lot of success running the ball. I'm pretty sure ASU scouted that game and knows what he's capable of. How does that change your approach, you know, knowing that they're going to be scouting that and and trying to take that away? Um, It won't change for us much. I mean, we, he ran the ball. I think, um, I think, I think he ran the ball nine times and, seven of them were called run plays where he has, and none of them were pure call or only one of them was a pure called run just for him. So I guess you'd say we had six play calls where he could hand the ball off or pull it. And that's about right. We don't, we don't need a lot more than that. I think the ones he pulled were big plays. And if we, if you go too deep into that world, then your quarterback's getting beat up. And so we want it to be something that defenses have to respect and um but we don't want to rely on it so much that it becomes a crutch you know and and then he doesn't make it through the season how would you assess the pass game because the yards haven't been over you know the the numbers statistically haven't been huge but it's been generally pretty efficient how would you assess that so far um yeah i'm not worried about the total yards at all i think that's the most overrated stat in football um we have had I did talk to our team though we've had too many long foul balls you know where it's just like we, we took our shots in the in the Utah game did not land them we got a we got a critical PI call 
uh, in the end zone on a on a deep post corner route that Samson did a great job drawing the penalty. And we came close on a couple other plays, but coming close doesn't count, you know. So we got to, you know, I, I think that we're just three or four big plays away per game. Uh, our point total is going up, you know, 10 or 20 more points if we just land a few of those shots. And so um, we'll see. I think I think those plays will come with time. The thing that I'm pleased with about the passing game is Jaron's taking great care of the ball and no sacks. Um, we're, we're protecting our quarterback. We're being smart with the football and then we're being efficient. We've thrown five touchdown passes in two games. I mean, we're, we're getting touchdowns in the passing game. And so would I like to get some more explosive plays? Yes. But if we can run the football and we take care of it and we're getting those touchdown passes in the part of the field where it's tough sledding, you know, it's not always easy to run it, run it in, then we're going to win a lot of games. And so we'll keep working at it. And then the other thing just that's important to recognize is this is, you know, Jaron's second start this year, fourth start of his career. So he's played basically three full games in his football career, college football career. And it's, I think it's fair to expect him to just get a little better each game and see the game a little better and be a little more accurate. And as, as that progress continues, we'll, we'll be a little more aggressive. Okay, Alex, last question. Uh, Coach, after this last game against Utah, you guys had several um, – your game plan seemed – fairly efficient with long play drives. I mean, you guys had a drive of like a 93 yard drive as well as one that got over basically seven minutes of game time off the clock um, without revealing too much. What are you guys looking to, how can you guys replicate that same success against Arizona state? Um, yeah. Different games, different opponents. I mean, in that Utah game that you can't beat the Utes with finesse. Uh, I, I coached there for 12 years. I saw it over and over teams try to run the ball Utah stops the run they make you one-dimensional the other team reverts to the pass then the pass rush gets going and that's when the turnover fest starts the hits on the quarterback the fumbles the interceptions and that's how they that's them in their formula to win forever and so we we knew as a team going into that game that we were not going to fall into that trap and we were going to run the ball for four quarters if that's what it took and uh, stick with it. We weren't going to abandon what we were doing. We believed in our plan. We knew the game might be a grinder, you know, might be a score in the 20s or something like that, and we were okay with that. We just just got to win by one more than the other team, and so it worked. Um, that's not the same plan we want to play every single week. You know, we, we want to be a team that's aggressive, and we want to be a team that's balanced, and, you know, that's what we'll set out to do against most teams. It just – it depends on the opponent. And so that was our formula for beating Utah. It might not be the opponent, the formula for winning uh, other games. There's BYU offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Stay with us. Ready, ready, ready. It's game week 
for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a disappointing loss in the Holy War, the Utes look to rebound as they hit the road to square off against an old Mountain West Conference rival in San Diego State. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. All right, DJ and PK, it is time to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property. Concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. What's up, fellas? Question of the day. Has the BYU program arrived under Kalani Sataki? Ooh, that would be a dangerous thing for anybody to say about any part of their life, right? Like, say, saying saying I'm arrived, uh, that I've arrived as an athlete, that's like when everything starts slipping out of your hands. Now, do do I think they're moving in the right direction? Yes. Do I feel like... That was a big win for the program and for Kalani Sataki. Yes. Do I feel like this can build confidence moving into other big games for BYU? No question about it. But if you if you think that you've arrived, who that that's that's just a scary thought, right? There's always something to improve. There's always something to tweak. There's always something to grow and to learn from. Of course, with the exception of me being me, who's a completely and totally arrived as a sports talk show host. But other than that, you know, I can see where you're going. But at the same time, why? why well, not everybody's not everybody's elite, Patrick. Right, back I mean, to that. That was, that was a phrase, you know, the word we used a couple weeks ago or something, right? What was it, it was. It was. We beat that into I the ground. I don't remember why, but now that he says that, I remember that we did do that. Right, well, right. Okay, but is this program now capable of winning eight, nine, ten games and be within reason of thinking, all right, that's going to happen, and in a down season be six and six, seven and five. We'll give you that the occasionally. I mean, the Utes had that a few years back when Hunley was a sophomore, uh, and I think he got hurt that season or something, and so they went seven and five, if I remember. But yet, then they follow it up with a couple of South uh, first place and go to the, the title game. And so we've established Utah. In a sense, we think they've at least arrived to you know, there's the levels of a, of arrivement, and their arrivement is <laughs> quit looking at me that way. Their arrivement is you know they're going to win eight, nine games virtually every year. Do you think BYU's at that point? Well, I certainly think with with the schedule that they have right now, like my thought process is, is way different compared to when the season started, right? Like you're looking at Arizona State game, you know, you're looking at the BYU game and you're, and you're like, excuse me, at the Utah game and you're just like, wow, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know where all these wins are going to come from that everybody's talking about, but you, you win against the University of Utah. You win against Arizona. If you go and win this weekend against Arizona State, all of a sudden, what game do they play in where you don't feel like that they have a chance to win or to be a favorite? And I think to answer your question in a long way there, 
teams that win not eight, nine games a year with a good season with 10 win or 11 win seasons, they're in every game and you don't feel like you're out of any game that you play in. And so that becomes exciting for, for a BYU fan perspective. And from, I guess, the arrival, since we're using that word, or the arrivement, as you would say, <laughs> just, <laughs> like really, really, um, you're in every game. And so this this is where it gets hard emotionally for BYU fans, right, is, is where now the expectations start to rise a little bit, that every game that you play in, you, you think you could win, and it comes down to four or five plays in every game, and whether you execute on those four or five plays, and you don't know which four or five plays those are going to be, and then if you lose, you just feel terrible because you're like, oh my gosh, it came down to like three plays, and we weren't ready for those three plays. Whereas before it was like, well, we were outmatched, you know, we played out of our head, a couple of plays didn't fall our way. When the expectations get a little bit higher, it becomes a little bit more difficult. But that also means that you have a lot better program and a lot better team. And right now, I, I mean, look, to lose Zach Wilson, start out the season 2-0 and with a win over your rival, uh, things are going in the right direction for BYU. There's no question. Well, I like what you said about arrived because I totally buy that. When you think you've arrived in anything, that's when you're in trouble. And... If you want to put arrived at, can they average eight or nine wins? Yeah, I think they can do that. That's no longer crazy talk. That's right in front of them. You got to go do it, and they haven't. But if you had to bet, I actually think it comes down to two choices: is it more likely that the roller coaster continues, or is it more likely that they are averaging eight or nine wins, and people come calling for Kalani at schools that look at eight or nine wins and think that'd be awesome? Which is how Virginia looked at Bronco. That would be awesome, and they came and got him. Double and triple the money, right? I think the more likely right. scenario for BYU is that Kalani wins and people come calling. Either way, it'll be a problem for BYU, but I think that's the way it's more likely to break. You agree? Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kalani's name's up for USC. Yeah, I mean, look, mm-hmm. the, you have to look at what Kalani's done in an independent era with the recruiting that he's done, with the ability that. And, and there are some limitations to BYU. I think they're a little bit overplayed, but there are some. I think you have to recognize that there's some limitations. But it would not surprise me at all if big schools come and knock on Kalani's door, and then it's going to be up to Kalani to decide what he wants to do. Is he going to is he going to go the Lavelle Edwards route and and have lots of offers all the time and just say, look, this is where I love to be, this is what I like to do, or is it to make a choice to to have transformational money for his family? and take care of generations to come because he can go to a USC or he can go to a, a, a different program. And those are those are decisions that Kalani will have to make. I think it would have to be a really good job for Kalani to leave. But I also think, I mean, you just got to give, you got to give a lot of credit to him. I mean, these players love to play for him. They play hard. People in the program are, are playing hard right now. And I think he's recruited very well. And I also think he's allowed some of his coaches to coach. I think if you if you look at the game on Saturday, I mean, Aaron Roderick and his play calling, they basically out-Utahed Utah. And, and uh, on offense, they didn't turn the ball over. They were highly efficient on offense. They kept with the running game, and they kept running and kept running until until Utah broke. And there's very few teams that I can think of over the last – 
10 years from the Kyle Whittingham era that have been able to break Utah down to where they've been able to keep running the ball and keep running the ball and keep running the ball. And then, you know, in the trenches on the offensive line and the defensive line, I mean, they looked like a University of Utah team. They just kept coming in waves. The offensive line was was big and heavy, and they were laying on you. And it was just interesting to see them out Utah, Utah. That, that was the exact game plan that Kyle has used for years to win that was used against Utah to beat them. You probably have noticed this too, but one thing that I've been able to see in through conversations is the amount of allegiance and loyalty that his assistants have to him is as good or better than any staff I've ever known. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, look, I don't, I don't think Kalani is the type of guy that is constantly in people's ears and constantly saying, dude, why did you do that? It's just not even really his personality type. Now, look, just because a coach is that way doesn't mean that that's a bad thing because, you know, the way I look at it, these these guys are all running a ship, right? And and if Kalani's going to run the ship the way he wants to, then Kyle can run the ship the way he wants to. And if the ship goes down, you want it to be because of your choices. But the way Kalani chooses to run it and the way Kalani decides has decided to treat his assistant coaches is to allow them to be themselves, to allow them to put their own little signature on what they're doing, and then really let them run with it. And look, if there's problems, I'm sure that there's conversations, but I don't think those conversations are taking place in the middle of a game. And so for me, you know, if you're if you're Aaron Roderick, you really like to coach for Kalani because there's nobody chirping in your ear, throwing you out of your rhythm as you're calling plays. And I don't care who talks about it or, or how it's talked about, but to be an offensive coordinator, there's a rhythm that takes place. And when people – and when people are chirping in your ear, when there's distractions going on and you're not able to be in that rhythm, it's really difficult to call a game the way you want to play it. And I just, I really like the way Aaron Roderick has called plays the last two years. And look, I know, I know we're probably going to give John Beck credit again for, you know, for Jaron Hall's performance, but after a while, you're going to have to start saying, God, who's the offensive coordinator that's putting these quarterbacks in situations in practice and then allowing them to like play to the best of their ability in the games. Who's the coach that's actually preparing them during the week so they can play really well on Saturdays? And and right now, to me, you, you've you got to tip your hat to Aaron Roderick in the way that they're playing offensive football. And, and look, it's not complicated, but there are some nice little wrinkles. I, I loved the touchdown play call to uh, Samson Nakua where you drop back for a minute and then it's a controlled rollout to the left, and they throw a little out pattern to Samson McHugh. I mean, that was that was a nice wrinkle on the goal line, and you don't come up with that play unless you saw something on the goal line that indicated that you could run a play like that. And that was that was ingenuitive. That was that was creative. That was imaginative, in my opinion. Ingenuitive. Uh, I think it was ingenuity. Yeah. Listen, listen. You know. Not, it, it, not everybody has come to the level of arrivement. That, that <laughs> <happened>. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
You know, the only thing I'll, I'll disagree with you on is I can't believe Kalani would be up for the USC job right now because jobs like that, they don't want to hear that you are arriving and it's a sports talk radio discussion. They want to see it on paper, in black and white, on the scoreboard. Yeah, th- this coach has won 30 games in three years. Or Yeah, and Pete Carroll was their fourth choice. Right. So NFL fair, guy. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't think USC is always getting the guys they want. But That's true. To me, when I think about the USC job, I do think that one of the one of the boxes that Kalani checks is an ability to connect with people and with boosters and with media. That maybe that's that was the weakness of Clay Helton. Because by all accounts, Clay Helton's a super nice guy, right? Yeah. But maybe just not as charismatic, and maybe just not as. Um, pleasing to the boosters and to the crowds and to to what the USC I don't know whatever their whatever they want it to look like at their program that's that's something that I could see Kalani fitting into now you're right I mean they're going to go after some other people first but who's to say that they don't circle around and go cow here's a guy who's winning games with an independent schedule who's been recruiting and and recruiting well to BYU, what could he do recruiting to USC? What could he do for our fan base to get us excited? I think he checks a lot of boxes. And so I, I'm not saying that – I'm not trying to stir the pot. I'm not trying to get BYU fan, like, up, upset or up in arms. But I do think that there are going to be opportunities for Kalani that maybe other coaches in the past didn't have because, let, let's let's be honest, he has, he has a likable personality. And in, in this day and age – it's important that you hire people that you like to be around, and so these ads sometimes they they want to they want to be around people that they like to talk to. It's only one game, and I don't want to go crazy, but and his offensive line was not very good. But I'm talking about Brewer, and I thought, man, if he's got time, he's going to pick you apart. But when the play breaks down in the one game, I didn't see much. Now I can't go crazy on one game, particularly when it's up to the guys up front to provide him time. But I'm wondering, what do you think about him when the pocket breaks down? Yeah, I, well, first of all, in, in fairness to Charlie Brewer, no quarterback's very good when the pocket breaks down. <laughs> I, mean, there's, I mean, you look at Tom Brady. I mean, that's been the thing that everybody tries to say in the NFL. They're like, oh, he's not very good when the pocket breaks down. Well, then don't let the pocket break down. And watch him take you to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Um, everybody's passing percentage goes down. Every, I think Charlie uh, Charlie has some really good skills, and I really like his eyes, and I really like the way that he plays when when he's in a rhythm. I felt like BYU kept him out of rhythm all night, and I think you know he air he airmailed the last fourth down throw, but I think that's because he was starting to. I think he was starting to see ghosts. I think he was starting to feel a little bit of the pressure of. Man, I have to make all these plays on my own. Now, will the offensive line for Utah get better? No question about it. Will Charlie Brewer get better? I think he will. I do think, and and I think that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more toughness or a little bit more urgency to make some plays when things were breaking down a little bit. But so there's something, there's something that I'm feeling that this is the same as you, Patrick, because you bring up this question is like was. Okay, was that all offensive line, or was there something there that was missing in the in the toughness of like finishing this play and like really trying to make a play? And look, I played quarterback for a team. I got sacked ten times in one game at Washington, and 
I'm, I'm going to be defensive for quarterbacks for a minute. But I also felt like that, that part of those sacks were on me sometimes, right? Like part of it was like I need to be tougher. I need to figure out how to get out of this jam or I need to learn how to throw the ball away before that for those guys get to me. And and I got better as as the season progressed. But it's not easy when you're feeling pressure. And, uh, look, quarterbacks are really good when it's seven-on-seven. Seven. The ones that, that kind of separate themselves from everybody else are guys that can make those plays when everything isn't perfect. And I think that's why, you know, if we want to flip the script a little bit, I think that's why I'm impressed with Jaron Hall, right? Like, he could have been jumpy. He could have been antsy. He could have ran all over the field and tried to make plays with his feet all night. But he stayed in the pocket when he was supposed to, and he used his feet when he was supposed to. And I thought I thought he played a masterful game on Saturday. And I think because of his maturity and because of the things that he's doing, I, I, I can see BYU winning a lot of games this year. Well, Riley, there is a lot more to talk to you about, but we're going to have to leave it right there for now. We'll talk to you again next week. Are, are you picking BYU to win? I am. I'm, I'm picking all in-state schools to win this week. Ooh, I, there it is. I, I, Your Aggies are big I underdogs at Air Force. I know. Okay. I know. But there's a different there's a different enthusiasm, and I think this Rice kid at Utah State, this this middle linebacker, is a great quarterback for that defense. He's got guys in the right spots and and playing fast at least. And so I know it's a crazy matchup, but I think this offense can actually outscore Air Force. The Aggies going 3 and 0. Who do you like to be the coach at Utah State next year after Blake Anderson? Leaves? <laughs> <laughs> what? Really? Really that that's <laughs> so quick to put Kalani on a, another job, Nobody but Blake Anderson, no, he's a lifer in Logan. Come on. <laughs> Nobody's reached that level of arrivement yet at USU. Stop. Thank you, Riley. Love you guys, man. Thank you. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider. When we return, Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Ryan's coming up to tell us about the coaching change, who the top candidates are, how will SC with an interim coach compete in the regular season? We'll get to that next. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After their emotional win against the Utes, BYU welcomes in another Pac-12 opponent as Arizona State rolls into Lavelle Edwards Stadium this Saturday. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 6 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, we're joined once again by Ryan Abraham, publisher and owner of uscfootball.com. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. It's a silly season in USC football land again. uh, (laughs) Didn't expect it this early, but here we are. You knew we were calling you. You just didn't know which day, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's, this has been a crazy 48 hours. There's, you know, covering the USC beat, there's been some really insane stories over, you know, over the years. There's just always something nutty going on. And everyone expected 
you know, Clay Helton did be fired, especially after seeing the game Saturday night. I just didn't expect it to happen uh, this quickly. But, yeah, yeah, they pulled the trigger and uh, made the move on Monday, and we got to go to a practice with interim head coach Dante Williams yesterday. And uh, one, one thing I put on Twitter, if you uh, cover the USC beat, you know how to spell the word interim very well because you can <laughs> use it quite often. So you mentioned Williams. And I want a little information from about him from you. He started with the Seahawks. Now, I'm not talking Seattle, nor am I talking Redondo Union High School. I'm talking <laughs> Harbor College, my old beat in the 90s. That's where he got his start. He's a local guy, but he's got a connection here. He played his college ball at Idaho State. That's basically up the freeway from us. And so he has been around. He's only, I think, 38, 39 years of age. Uh, why him? Yeah, so it's funny. He, he, you know, big Southern California guys, really tied into the high school scene down here. Like you said, you know, Harbor College and stuff. But he goes up to Oregon and gets like a couple times the Pac-12 Recruiter of the Year. It just does a great job up there. USC ends up luring him away when they switch over their defensive staff, and he got the associate head coaching title last year. It's just been USC needed a shot in the arm as far as recruiting goes, especially after that 2020 class. And he was it, and he's just been doing a tremendous job there. Relates with the players extremely well. He's recruited most of the, the roster, if not here. He recruited those kids when he was at Oregon. So I think they just felt that he had the, built those relationships with the players and would be a good guy to lead them through. I mean, it's 10 games. It's like a pretty good resume builder for someone that, you know, you're a cornerback's coach, not even like a full secondary coach. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity. We saw other people – take it and run with it when you get that interim job. I don't think he's going to end up being USC's head coach, but uh, it's certainly going to be something that he could put on his resume because the schedule's not that difficult. If they can go out and beat the teams that they should beat, I mean, he could go 8-2 and two or something like that, and that would, uh, that would be a nice feather in his cap. Well, that schedule includes both Utah and then BYU on Thanksgiving weekend in the regular season finale. Do you think they hold it together? Because there have been a couple seasons where they have had the interim coaches and they've been 1-2 and two when they played the Utes and won the game and finished 6-3. and There have also been a couple seasons, one with Lane Kiffin and one with Clay Helton, when, when they couldn't reach their goals, everything just unraveled. And yeah, I don't know, guys are just playing for the NFL or what, but Lane Kiffin had a 7-6, and six and Clay Helton had a 5-7, and seven, and is there a chance USC's looking at that? Yeah, I think everything's on the table. I mean, the, Mike Bone, the athletic director, said that they're not, like, um, just basically writing off this season. They really want to think that there's uh, you know some opportunities to just go out and win the Pac-12 again. And, uh, but, I mean, those are the key games. I mean, you got to beat BYU, who's got them a – a couple of years ago, obviously, Utah is a huge rival in the South, but they get them in the, the Coliseum. I mean, UCLA looks really good. you got to go on the road and play Notre Dame. So there's definitely some some tough games in there. And, you know, Stanford, I still don't think, is a very good team, and they just throttled USC. So I think it's just getting this team to play together. There was a lot of infighting and stuff going on. If he can galvanize the team, they should be okay. Uh, but it's a lot. I mean, he's going into practice. The day before, you know, we're out there at practice today. Like, and I asked him, "Do you change the practice schedule much?" He's like, "Not really. I mean, they just you just got the job." Uh, but I, yeah, I think there's going to be some key games. Uh, you know, can Utah get their first win in the Coliseum? Uh, you know, could BYU do it? You know, let's pull another upset. So, those are the ones that people are going to be watching when he's uh, out there coaching. 
So we don't think that he's going to get the job, right? So obviously there's been all sorts of speculation. We got the fickle connection with the AD, James Franklin, who did, did marvelous work at Vanderbilt and obviously has done very well at Penn State. Those guys came to mind right off the bat, and they've already spoken. They don't want distractions, blah, blah, blah. My guy, who has no distractions, is Chris Peterson. I think they should just throw all the money in the world at him and see if he wants to come back. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think there's some a couple good options that, of guys that aren't working right now, like Chris Peterson and Bob Stoops, and they're both in Los Angeles for Fox, like at least part of the part of the week, uh, do it covering football. And it's funny, every name that comes up, there's definitely going to be reasons why someone will say he'll never do that or that'll never work, and one of them's going to, you know. So it's it's curious to see, you know, will, will Luke Fickle, you know, leave his cocoon in, in Ohio where he's been his whole career. Is Chris Peterson, you know, done with the retirement stuff? He seems like he's pretty happy with what he's doing. Same thing with Stoops. Um, you know, like a James Franklin, that's you know, his big-time job there at, at Penn State. Uh, you know, Matt Campbell at, at Iowa State. There's a lot of interesting names. And when you're the athletic director at a place like USC, like your main job, your, I mean, priority one, two, and three are hiring the head football coach. And the, the first step was – getting an opening and the fans were asking for that for the last few years. Now they have one and now they're going to have to do you know, Now they're on stage. Now it's all about them. Who are you going to hire? Uh, we're, we're not sure if he's going to use a search firm. He said he wasn't sure yet, but they have a lot of time, um, you know, to, to kind of figure this out and you want to get it done as early as possible because of the early signing period, but they at least have a head start on anyone else that's out there uh, looking for a head coach. Public schools, we always see what their athletic budgets are and the coaches' salaries and all that. Private schools don't have the same issues with the Freedom of Information Act. What's the ballpark USC pays in? What's the ballpark they're willing to pay in? Because watching these SEC salaries, they're just going through the roof. It is going through the roof, and uh, it's crazy. I think my estimation of what Clay Hilton's buyout is, is it's probably between 12 and $15 million, so that's not cheap uh, either for them to just to get rid of Clay Hilton. Um, with a couple of years left on his deal, my understanding is he, you know, as far as the tax returns go, I think his salary, Clay Helton's salary, was over five million dollars now. So I think you would at least start there. Uh, but I mean, yeah, does it go up to eight million? I mean, we've never seen something like that uh, out here. So it's uh, it could get a little crazy. They've shown that they've been willing to spend money, uh, you know, to try to get things, you know, the athletic department being a little bit more modern. Before, there was kind of penny-pinching around the department. I don't know if they've opened up the purse strings a little bit uh, at the athletic department, but it just seems like they're spending more. I mean, university's been dealing with a lot of scandals on their own. There's been a lot of money coming out. So, But I, I feel they understand that it is important to get the football team right, and you can't do it uh, just hoping and, and having a, you know, a kind of a budget program. So that, that will be something interesting to see. We might not know all the details until the tax returns come out in a couple of years, but that's usually one you can find out for sure with the private schools. But yeah, it's, that, that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to spend money if they want to play with the big boys. And if they don't, then you can kind of tell, okay, they're not really serious about winning for this football program anymore. What's interesting is they're trying to recapture 
what they had. You know, programs try to do that, and it gets very difficult. You know, I can argue that uh, the Bruins basketball team is the ghost of John Wooden hasn't gone away. Arizona State, the ghost of Frank Cush hasn't gone away. UNLV basketball, the ghost of Jerry Tarkanian hasn't gone away. Now, there's been multiple ghosts at SC, and the latest being Pete Carroll. How long is that going to take, and will that ghost ever go away? And what I mean by can SC get back to what they had because they had it once, like those other schools did, but we're getting like starting to get a distance between that and now. Makes me wonder how realistic it is. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think the, the, the fact that there's multiple ghosts is what you have to look at. It's a brand. You know, has, has Texas been all that successful in the last? you know, 10 years, 15 years, basically since USC was really successful, like, no, but they're still a huge brand because of the history of the fan base tradition and all that. And that's why the SEC would try to take them away. And that's why, it would, you know, just them leaving the Big 12 would crush the conference. And I think it's the same thing with USC. You just need the right coach. It's a sleeping giant. If you get the a right, you know, good leadership in there, uh, it, you, you're just, it's a, blueprint for being successful and i think usc you almost have to try to screw usc football up and that's really what they've done with the athletic directors they've had before so the hope if you're a usc fan is that you know mike bone's the right guy they're going to go out and make a great hire and just give yourself a much more reasonable chance of success not basically before you were hiring someone and hoping that the tradition sort of like dragged them along like you want a coach that's going to be driving this bus not the USC brand driving the bus and you just hire someone like a Clay Helton that's that's along for the ride. You know, you don't want someone that's along for the ride. You want someone that's going to control things and take things over. And if they can do that, I think USC can get back on top. So if I offered you USC or the field in the Pac-12 South right now, which one would you take? I'm going field. Uh, you know, I like the way UCLA's playing. I, you know, I, I was a little shocked at the Utah-BYU game because BYU didn't look that great in the in the opener, but I still think Utah is a formidable opponent. And, you know, Arizona State's a wild card to me because, I mean, any minute, you know, Herm Edwards and I might not be there with all the stuff that's going on. But uh, they seem like they're, you know, you're getting through things. They have an easy early part of the schedule. USC's still really talented, but, you know, you've switched head coaches. I just think there's a lot that can go wrong, and they already have a Pac-12 loss. So I'll definitely take the field on that one. USC can win it for sure, but uh, at this point I'll go field. Their backup quarterback's a local kid, Dart. Uh, I'm assuming, I don't know this, you'd probably know more, that Slovis tries his hand in the NFL. I know they got another four or five-star kid, was named Miller, and then uh, probably got some guys in the pipeline. How do you think that shakes out? Yeah, for uh, I like the way Jackson Dart's played well. He was named the backup quarterback. Uh, he competed with Miller Moss, who's more of a, a local kid. They got Devin Brown, a 2020 uh, two kid who's looked really good, he's throwing like six or seven touchdowns a game where, you know, where Dart played uh, in high school. So there's, there's some interesting um, developments there, but I don't know as far as like, because they're picking a new head coach, is Graham Harrell going to be around Graham and uh, Keaton are tight. You know, I, I think Slovis would go, but if he doesn't have a great rest of the year, maybe he wants to stay. Uh, Dart's also pretty tight with Graham Harrell. So there, I think there's going to be a shakeup obviously with a new head coach and the way Graham Harrell's the offense hasn't really been performing that well. So I think before he would have been someone that you thought a new coach would want to keep. Unless the offense turns things around, I mean, scoring 23 points a game is not going to, you know, not going to cut it in college football nowadays. And that's what they've been doing. So 
Um, I think the quarterback room is going to be affected by who the coaches are because those you know, those guys have pretty close ties. Well, Ryan, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again as the Utah-USC game approaches. That should be a really good one. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. There's Ryan Abraham covering all things USC football. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.